0: Epperson and Swaim, their dicks are shaped the same. These two podcasters are walking disasters, but nonetheless happy you came. Hey! Uh, hey! Welcome to Anders Sons, a new season, a fresh start, with me, your host, Michael Swaim, and then the man, colloquially known as the fantastic Mr. Fucks, Abe Epperson. <laughs> you... Bastard nailed you.
1: I know you. That was a great I intro. Didn't know you. Thank you, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm great intro for a great show. How did you know that they used to call me the, the, the fantastic yes, Mr. Fox?
0: Yeah, it involved that's crazy. having you tailed and going through your high school record and shit like that. You must yeah. have
1: interviewed people in my neighborhood. Yeah, no, I was you like, you know,
0: where come on, he was like great, Mr. Gyrate. Right, and they're like, That's yeah, not for, quite right for a
1: bit for like six months, and they but led then me
0: down a trail
1: immediately.
0: Finally, immediately. I met with someone in the Vatican at night, and they unfolded <laughs> a scroll and it said, Fantastic, Mr. Fox. And I was like, That's it, that's the one. I Da Vinci coded your ass. Yeah,
1: let's take you to 2009, everybody. Please this do. is yeah.
0: I was doing much better then.
1: (laughs) Sometimes we talk about Paul Thomas Anderson, but tonight we're talking about Wes Anderson.
0: Go Wes, young man. Yeah, we're talking about 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox, if you didn't pick it up from our witty repartee already. Uh, By Roald Dahl, same artist, author who brought us. The BFG, James and the Giant Peach, Danny the Champion of the World, that one about witches. And that's all the role doll books I know. Were you a big Roald doll kid? Yeah, I I I, I do a Matilda. You dabbled? Oh, you! I forgot Matilda. I I think Danny Champion of the World, I believe, is the first chapter book I ever read. I remember as a kid being like, "This is a real book."
1: That one didn't scan to me as the others did. It's less famous
0: because there's no magic in it. It's literally uh-huh. just about a son and his deadbeat dad, who sort of is rough around the edges and like takes him pheasant hunting and teaches him how to shoplift and stuff like that. It's almost like Kikujiro, that movie we saw. It's like, what if your father figure was well-meaning, but he's rough around the edges, you know? Yeah. Kind of low key criminal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, but it's on brand because like, leave it to Michael Swaim to be the guy who like chooses one, one off beat. Maybe I'm wrong about
0: this. No, it's a deep cut. Danny Champion of the World That's is d- not okay. the popular old doll book by any means. It's we're talking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Come I mean, on.
1: I didn't know about Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I was familiar with the writer, you know?
0: That is one that I didn't know as well. So yeah. my first introduction, which should be said, is to this film. This is my first introduction to the idea of Fantastic Mr. Fox, as it sounds like it is Abes. But for the record, just we'll say it out front. The book, from what I understand from researching it for this, ends at the point where the cider washes them all away. Mm-hmm. Um. So no, no, right before then. Wait, do they just die? No, do no, no, die? right before oh. then is what I meant to say. You know how no. he, he gives a pep talk at the dinner table in the sewers where he says, this is all fine. We're just going to live in the sewers. This is fine. Yeah. That's where the book ends. So Wes Anderson added... What if it got flooded and they had to do all the zany, madcap climactic Act Three type shit, right? And it makes a lot of sense. That's what makes it a movie.
1: Uh, yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think that that's probably a good choice for the movie. To yeah. be honest, um, yeah. My familiarity with this is not just that I didn't know the uh, book from, or the short story from. Which I don't even came. know what a fox is. But I held off on watching this because, um, I think it was God at this point, 2000's like eight, eighteen, nineteen. you mentioned to me in a conversation that I'd like this more. Hard line. Spiteful. Yeah. Spiteful of Wes cool Anderson.
0: was the, yeah. And you,
1: it's not, I you wouldn't say that. a
0: real monster about it.
1: Yeah. It was a real <laughs> piece of shit. And, uh, you were like, hey, it's animated and the control in which Wes Anderson kind of functions under uh, with what, you know, movie making is. This is what he's good at. Like, this is kind of the best version of a Wes Anderson. And I do agree. It's almost a perfect Anderson. I just don't. Love it. Oh,
0: I was hoping that was your answer. That makes for a more vibrant conversation. Yeah. That's interesting because I thought I you'd really suck wanted it to up. like it. I thought you'd slurp this one down like a piggy yeah, and no. just love it.
1: I scoffed and rolled my eyes and I'm sure listeners who love this film and love Wes Anderson are being like this fucker. Well, there's going to be parts better though. Than...
0: This part was so funny and you're going to go that's what I scoffed at and we'll get into Well it. no
1: no I mean I think that there's genuine uh, beauty in this film uh, but we'll get into it as you said. Yeah. So on this show we usually
0: diagram things through three lenses. They are I'm a little rusty but I believe they are pedagogy, diegesis and how do you do that. I I switched the first two. I think we start with diegesis, which is basically just what happens in this movie. Other podcasters, better podcasters, would just call it a synopsis, but I hate Mm -hmm. synopses, so I call it diegesis. And uh, this is, if you haven't seen it in a while, or just you want to see how it bounced off of us, what's stuck in our minds, this is our best recollection of Fantastic Mr. Fox real quick in a nutshell, with some funny commentary scattered throughout as it occurs to us. So uh, I'll kick it off. Speaking about that control, we see it immediately in the fact that the opening shot is a poem, the poem I parodied at the top of the recording. Uh, buns Bunsen Bean, one short, one fat, one lean. Though these three crooks, though equal in looks, were nonetheless e- equally mean. That's it. Um, so these three pieces of shit is our initial offer. And then we just see patchwork farmland from directly above. Like, if you know Wes Anderson, you understand what I'm saying. A right angle looking straight down at a grid, almost like a diagram of farms and the earth. Uh, All autumnal colors, all yellows and browns and stuff like that. Super Wes Anderson-y. So down to the point where, and this reminded me of like Napoleon Dynamite, it opens with a guy holding a book in front of camera, and the book has the New York Public Library sticker on it. It's all these super cute touches, very Wes Anderson, very Uh. New York elite. Um, and that's the story of Fantastic Mr. Fox. So we meet him. He's doing yoga by a tree, listening to Davy Crockett, which gives you an insight into how he views himself. And, uh, he does his signature move, which is, (whistles) what would yours be, dude? What would your signature sound be? Yeah. Mine's like a.
1: Yeah. A little slurping sound. Yeah. But he does the whistle,
0: (laughs) click, click. Um, we get some sprightly banjo music as him and his wife, who they don't name until the end of the movie, but working (laughs) backwards, her name is Felicity. Yeah. Um, you don't even know her name. There's no way to know her name until like 90% of the way through Mrs. Fox. Mrs. Fox. She is there to be his wife and come down on him. That's the Anderson-y part that I don't like that we'll get to, is that the, the underlying bones are still pretty bottle rocket and like tenon bombs. But, uh, okay, for better or worse, his wife and he are having a grand old time killing chickens as foxes do and stealing chickens from farmers. They get trapped in a little trap through a funny little miscommunication where he thinks, I thought that moment was funny. Uh, I think I understand this trend. Yes. You pull here and that thing drops and then it drops on them and he goes, Nope, it just falls straight right it's, down. It's straight <laughs> you,
1: right down. Fucking us both. Yeah. Maybe we're dead. Yeah, no, it's it's a great little bit, but yeah, it does uh it's indicative of Mr. Fox's I mean, that's it's a, that's its goal, right? Right. He is the he is his own foil. His, and his, he gets his in pride. his own way.
0: We see that immediately. Yeah. And how Wes Anderson is it for her answer to be I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. That's that's the basic kind of offer I think he's happy with, he's comfortable with. And I imagine that was not the story in the Roald doll book, but maybe I'm wrong. I just imagine it didn't play out exactly like that. <laughs>
1: I don't think it's that way.
0: Yeah. But uh, because they're pregnant and their lives need to be safer, he promises that he'll find another line of work instead of being a fox and killing chickens, and he becomes a newspaper man so we flash forward to two years later, which is 12 Fox years later. So it's a one to six ratio. And they all live at a place called number one Bramble and Shrub, where he's where he's like they live in a bush like foxes a lot of do. of bees. Yeah. Yeah. He writes a newspaper column. Their kid is Jason Schwartzman, and he doesn't want to go to school and he wants to wear a white cape all the time because he likes this comic book called White Cape. And he spits on the ground whenever anyone tries to like connect with him as a human being. He's a shitty kid. I do
1: like- He's a shitty kid. Yeah. 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 He, he, uh, he's 12 and he sucks, but you know, who isn't 12? And feels bad
0: that, (laughs) that everyone knows he sucks. That's what he's pissed about. He keeps saying he's a little
1: bit- He thinks he's an athlete
0: and he's clearly not. He thinks he's as cool as his dad and he's clearly not. Or is he? We'll find out later. Um, Yes. Fox wants to move above ground. Says, I'm seven non-Fox years old. I don't want to live in a hole anymore. It makes me feel poor. Uh, Wife, we are poor, but we're happy. Hey, those sound like good starting conditions for a children's story.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: So they, uh, well, first of all, he eats his morning breakfast like a fucking wild animal. Did that bit get you?
1: Yes, of course. That's a wonderful bit. Anytime, multiple times, because the next scene is actually uh, Mr. Fox and Badger Lawyer, and they plead like the Badger Lawyer pleads with him not to purchase the, uh, the, the tree. tree
0: he wants to live in. Yeah.
1: And they have a moment where they like ah, and they go feral against each other. And they fight like you would imagine a Badger and a Fox would fight for just a split second. It's a great bit. They do it several times in the movie. And no one is hurt. It's it's all- They mostly you know, just say, away. don't cuss
0: at me. Don't cuss and point at me. Are you cussing Oh yeah, that's me? another
1: thing, which yeah. I thought was also, I love that for a uh, children's story. Just Dude, the idea I, that I love, all cusses are replaced with the word cuss.
0: All cusses are, at some point someone calls it a real cluster cuss. And I was like, that's the peak of that. That is that's, so good.
1: yep, yep, yep. yep. And
0: uh, then there's graffiti in town that just says cuss. Like someone tagged someone was like, I'm going to cuss right now. Love it.
1: It's a great little bit. It's uh, there's no, there's no denying that there's charm here.
0: And I think it also supports the final message, which jumping ahead is ultimately we are wild animals. It kind of reminds me of our nightmare before Christmas concept or, or chat. We are Mm -hmm. wild animals. That's what we are. And we can't change that. Um, which in this context We'll talk about it. It becomes complicated. Because the it's also, of it all. It's kind of like saying boys will be boys and everyone just better get out of the way. Yep. But, um, but it does show in little ways that even though they can talk and they have IMAX and they have post-it notes, these are wild animals, right? So when they eat, they go crazy. When they kill chickens, they get the bloodlust. When they get mad, they fight like animals. They hiss and circle and growl. Um, so they go and look at the tree that he wants to buy. They find out that there's a a super who's an opossum who lives there, who's easily scared into playing dead. And that's his whole bit. His name's Kylie. And this, I found out, was actually based on Wes Anderson's real life. So I assume it's not true in the Roll Doll book. But I wrote down a note at some point.
1: Did he know opossum? Does
0: he live with them? No, it's like Kylie. Does he live with them? He seems to be there all the time, even when they're having breakfast and stuff. Yeah. And that's not my understanding of what a super is. But Wes Anderson had a situation where he moved into a new house and the guy who was responsible for renovating the house, the contractor, said, I'm going to live here while the renovations are going on because they're so major. And he said, that's okay," But there came a time where he was just living there and he eventually had to ask him, like, when are you moving out? When does this end? Which is hilarious to me and informs the character of Kylie here.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% hate it, but it makes sense to me that Wes Anderson probably in Paris, <laughs> right? Grabbing some baguettes, Chocolate bringing croissant. him home to some stranger in his house,
0: and going, living with it and loving isn't it. Isn't this a quirky curmuffin that I've bumbled myself into? <laughs> yeah. This is the movie. Um, so we also get to learn Bunts, Bunsen, Bean, one short, one fat, one lean, who are three farmers that are the big bads of this. Although they barely talk. I was reading something like they only have like four lines per scene and they're only in three scenes other than Bean, who's the guy who's the tall, lean hunter guy. He He's only played by Michael Gambon. Sir Michael Gambon. He only drinks alcoholic cider. And his only goal is to shoot varmints, right? So, you know, he's going to be a force to reckon with. Nevertheless, like Danny Ocean, this is too much (laughs) for this fox to resist. He's like, I specifically want to steal from that guy. Because come you're, on, he's going, this is like the casino that can't be broken into. That's the one I want to break into, right?
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right with like, they are parallel characters in a lot of ways. Yeah. For some reason, we decided George Clooney was the guy who was like, did not want to move on with his life and wanted to stay forever The Bachelor. I wonder why.
0: <laughs> yeah, well. Probably
1: because that's just true about uh, his act two in his life. In his whatever, life, you know, in Clooney's
0: God. life, I bet, yeah. It's also a, just a cute little thing conversation he has with Kylie where it becomes apparent he's going to do this behind his wife's back. He tells Kylie, yeah. put on this bandit hat, and it, that's not a good sign, right? And he uh, gives a little speech about, like, how can I deny the wild animal in me stealing chickens and biting them and feeling their blood in my mouth? That's what i As if Mrs. About.
1: Fox doesn't have that a part of her. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of She's myself. She's also an too.
0: animal. yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm not saying and she to helped deny him. A she was there in the identity. early
0: days. She was there yeah, in the yeah, early for days sure, stealing for sure, chickens.
1: For sure, um, yeah. The but foxes, she's grown up. Yeah, she's grown up and she's decided a family is the priority, which I think is a pretty good, yeah, thing that humans should tell humans. She paints
0: wise. I like that she paints little landscapes and they all have inclement weather. So like she only paints tornadoes tornadoes or or lightning lightning. crashing or yeah, things like that. Lava flows. Um, At this point, roughly, we're introduced to cousin Christopherson, who is a guy who's just (laughs) taller than Ash, who's the son, Jason Schwartzman, taller than Ash, better than him. He meditates. He knows karate. And the dad, athletic. the dad becomes enamored of him and is like, look at this kid. This kid's a natural. Love this I mean, kid.
1: But remember, it's not specifically like, I'm in love with this kid. It's just that he gives the off comment once in a while saying like, wow, this guy's pretty good at that. Right. And- it's but Jason just just Schwartzman
0: takes that as my father has disowned me.
1: Yeah, because his father is closed. His father is someone who doesn't offer any opinion. So the fact that he says any opinion at all is an affront to Ash. So, like, that's, I just want to scope that because it's just like, oh, it's all coming from <laughs> Mr. Fox's inability to be a father <laughs> or to
0: give his son the validation. he so desperately yeah, and it, obviously it, it need, started
1: right? before the movie started. Like this is, this is more of a result of the disease. This is not the start of it. You know, it's no. not like Christopher comes is, in and causes a problem.
0: Well, Mr. Fox calls out the disease at the end when he's talking to his wife by the yeah. waterfall made of cellophane, a beautiful technique, by the way, stop Pretty motion cool. wise Pretty and cool. says, I guess if I don't think, if everyone's not constantly telling me I'm fantastic, if I'm not frankly intimidating to people, then I don't feel good about myself. That's the disease. It's inside him and it's yeah. it makes his son feel less than because he's so busy polishing his it own It might moral. be
1: my favorite Wes Anderson scene in particular because I think it's calling out the exact unusual of, All of his movies, you know, it's pointing out, oh, this is how they all function. My protagonists are this type of person who has this specific flaw. And I am now pointing at it and saying that's a bad thing. In a Uh, cartoon
0: way, I actually think cartoon allows you to boil those things down to their simplest elements because you're trying to convey it to children. And because of that, this is almost the bones of a Wes Anderson story. Yeah. Like an adult version would be more fleshed out, but this just cuts to the chase. He just says, this is my damage. This is how it affected you. Cause this is a children's story and it needs to be exceedingly clear. And this he, is, yeah. yeah, you just get this like, this is
1: the aspect of my dysfunction and how I aim to correct it, which is a great reason for making a movie to be honest. Yeah. Um, And it comes from, I think this, This also, this little triangle here with Ash and Christopherson as sons and Mr. Fox, that is like the unit of uh, trauma here. Right. And we
0: see that the trauma isn't even specifically aimed at Christopherson until the dating thing. Because Ash is a bitch to Christopherson and then Christopherson Mm -hmm. cries quietly under the table. And then Ash comes down and sees him crying. And he just sets up the train and they watch the train together, which is a sweet little moment with no dialogue, just letting you know that Ash is a bitch sometimes, but he has a heart. He can be persuaded by the suffering of another being. Uh, So it's more an issue between him and his dad than it is. It's displaced onto his Yeah, which
1: makes Silver Fox basically, uh, the Christopherson basically the... I'm just perfect all the time. I'm a great guy all the time.
0: He dives you know? and leaves nary a ripple. Uh, yeah. And also he's blue, which is interesting to note because the entire movie is brown and mustard yellow and, you know, Wes Anderson colors. But uh, autumn colors. he's yeah. specifically blue all the time just to show that he's a total interloper, completely different from the outside world.
1: Yeah, which is really- a nice little
0: touch. When you have this kind of control, I think you can do cool stuff like that. Yeah, not, not that yeah. you couldn't do that in live action, but just but
1: that subtlety is is effective because yeah. you don't notice it. You don't go, "Oh, it's blue." You just no, notice that. Subtle. Oh, to my palate, he looks I've different. I've gotten than, used to this one thing. He looks different. He's, he's clearly not
0: related to this family. Yeah, yeah. So he says, "Put this bandit cap on," and then he says, "And so it begins," <laughs> which <laughs> I like. That's always a good line, in to me, in any movie, um, and they start robbing places just robbing <laughs> yeah, the three they, farmers they, they, yeah i
1: think we we kind of pass time as he is intermittently hitting all three uh and just taking the stores of these three farmers larceny who, montage you know you're not supposed to because as the song kind of uh cautions hey these guys will kill specifically foxes
0: yes so and Uh, they're killing beagles, I'm pretty sure. I know they don't play it that way in the movie, but they have this ongoing thing that they poison beagles with sleeping powder by gluing it inside a blueberry because beagles love blueberries. Yeah, these dogs are getting high. I'm just saying, blueberries are also poisonous to dogs, like grapes are and chocolate is. You're not supposed to feed dogs blueberries. So I choose to believe they all die.
1: That's just just what I choose to believe. (laughs) Just a legion of...
0: Of yeah, dogs they're just being put down. They're shoveling dogs into the pig that's pen pretty, to get eaten up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's pretty damning for Mr. Fox there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but,
0: I mean, you know, later we find out they have a dog who has rabies and they're just keeping it alive so that yeah. they can use it as a rabies dog. <laughs> 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 pretty gross.
1: Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's almost like a fox and a hound. Mm-hmm. I just, we're not meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to make now some Now that's your movie.
0: Could we do we some to... kind of cartoon about that?
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe call
0: it The Hound and the Fox?
1: Anyhow, yeah, something like that. They meet Wilm Defoe at one point. Right. Uh, because wait, which he's one's a rat. He?
0: He's oh, the he's rat. the rat. Okay, so they, when they're robbing... One guy has chickens. One guy has goose because he likes goose liver pate. And one guy has alcoholic cider. And they rob him one, two, three. And when they get to the cider room... Yes, there is a rat there who is security. He works security for the farmer. So I want to know how and when. It's like a whole separate movie, like a rat yeah, tattooing movie. That's my whole question too. How did the farmer strike this deal with this rat?
1: It's are like they, you get are one they doing of deals with rats? Right. That's the big question. You know, are they saying, look, like I imagine Michael Gambon sitting there going, look, rat, you got to do this for me. Yeah. And he's like owes something to lie. the rat. What do I get out of it? Yeah, yeah. What's my vig? And it's like, look, my wife. <laughs> I, I. They, they're telling each other backstories. Uh, it, it, it's a big problem. But you know, like at one point, Bean pulls out after they've exploded, which we're getting to. His tree. He pulls out some of the out of the you know, rubble. Uh, a paint the painting that Missus Fox was crafting, and he's looking at a piece of art that is essentially made by a fox, and he's just like, "Yep, that's fine." Like, so oh, the, right. we're in this elevated kind of uh, reality for sure. Reality because where they
0: they do talk to each other; they can understand each other's language. We find that yeah. out by the end.
1: It's not yeah,
0: and there's animal realtors who have computers. <laughs> So, I imagine there's been some point where a guy fumigates a tree stump and all the varmints are dead. And then he goes in and he has to clear out paper clips and office supplies and water coolers <laughs> like, yeah. and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Look yeah. at all this shit these little animals had in here. So, it is a right. heightened reality where the humans are aware that the animals are anthropomorphic. Um, yeah. I mean, but they only even sl- go to school.
1: selectively. Yes, yeah, selectively. selectively. Yeah, they, they have their own school, but that's... Yeah,
0: Ash you know. has a lab partner, so it becomes a recurring thing between him and Christopherson. His lab partner gets basically enamored of Christopherson and they end up going steady. And he thought, because he's a toxic boy, male thinking about sex they didn't prizes... They don't
1: even go steady, dude. She just is like... Asks a question. She says we're her. going
0: steady at some point. And, that's later though.
1: Yeah. But that's like reading in. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. There could be other scenes, but it just, it feels like from the span of the movie that Ash is basically like, Oh, you gave attention to another boy. I, I thought <laughs> we
0: were the boy. Yeah. yeah. I thought I was boy, which is a, of course a very entitled, but normal teenage boy way to feel. You're like, but we were True. assigned as lab partners. I thought that meant we'd fall in love. And it's like, no, I like this dude. Um, the line I really like is, you're supposed to be my lab partner. I am your lab partner. No, you're not. You're disloyal.
1: <laughs> you're disloyal. <laughs> you're Which disloyal. is a, such a Rushmore kind of That line, is so right?
0: Jason Schwartzman and Rushmore. My God. Yeah. yeah. Um, it also reminds me of that sketch we love, the Donald Glover sketch, Girls Are Not to Be Trusted. Just <laughs> yeah. similar vibe. Are yeah. Not to be trusted. Um, so they eventually uh, have to contend with things like spotlights, alarm systems. They have to climb an electric fence, much like the show I love Patriot, where he just has to climb an electric fence. So he just does. He just takes the pain. Um, they just take the pain and climb the fence. But he feels alive, right? He's never felt so alive. And he starts plucking the chickens and putting tags on them and claiming to his wife that he brought them home from the grocery store. But she's But she knows. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly to the point where she says a line that I remember from the trailer that I do think is a good line. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's the, one of the best red herrings of a line ever. And by that, I mean that You think that there's going to actually be a punchline. The second clause of that sentence, more or less, is going to be something, and they go backward. It better (laughs) not be happening, yeah. It better not be happening. It's good
0: joke math. It's good
1: joke math. It's great joke math. Um, Um, Just like
0: um, a real Cody joke from the rat, y'all are trespassing now, illegally. It's like, well, yes, trespassing by definition is illegal.
1: That's yeah, I think that that's funny. all that's probably all Noah Bombach, to be honest, because he does I've seen that him do that. He's he's Quite a co-writer well. for the yeah. screenplay with yeah. Wes Anderson. Um and yeah, he's done that in a lot of his stuff as well. Um just to point out that the stakes are now like through the roof because literally they blow off the roof of the Fox. Pole slash tree that they now live in. The farmers
0: in. are now against him and trying to kill him, right? And this will make the bulk yeah. of act two.
1: And they hide in the bush near his tree. And when uh, Mr. Fox comes out uh, one day, un, you know, expecting anything, uh, they shoot up the place. And it's a very like American presentation of, you know, how they just start firing wildly. And it's just like, get him! You know, it's a very South Park kind of. Uh, approach to you know blowing up something and they sever his tail they they shoot off mr fox's tail and the facts the fox family knowing that they're found out i love this kind of detail which is just that the foxes go oh they know where we live and they're human and they want to kill us, so we now have to move away. Like we, we
0: there's, there's no, no recourse. We can't here. beat them, right? Yeah. Or so at least in, that's what we first think.
1: And so the solution, as it's always been, is to dig to avoid capture slash death. And the humans basically bomb the tree. And at this point, we at check one in point
0: with, in there, he says, "Cuss, we're in a tight spot," which I really think is an O Brother yes, reference. That's an O Brother reference. Yeah.
1: It's gotta be. Yeah. Uh, at, at this point, we check in with kind of Meryl Streep and Jason Schwartzman, Mrs. Fox and Ash Fox. Uh, Mr. Fox's family's kind of in shambles at this point due to the fact that we're in act two and Mr. Fox is returning to his thieving Keeps background. Keeps doing whatever
0: he wants with no regard yeah. to the family, right?
1: And Streep says in you know the scene that you referenced, I shouldn't have married you, which yeah. is such a damning kind of, you know, like very Wes Anderson Royal Tenenbaums kind of thing to say Uh, And his son confides Also that he doesn't believe In him uh, And resents him for it Because basically I know you don't think I'm a good Son basically which is a very Like Well prove yourself son Which is a very interesting notion For uh, this, this Narrative to go and so Mr. Fox Ed Note Really hasn't responded to this immediately we get many scenes of this she kind of slashes
0: his face she's like straight up gives him scars across his face
1: he just kind of takes it yeah he, he is, doesn't respond well it's yeah. funny because they're like
0: if they were humans obviously that would be quite an overreaction but they're not so we just accept it it's part of them being wild animals yeah,
1: yeah yeah
0: but i will say more than most children's things about anthropomorphic animals this really leans into the weirdness of like well, like for example, at the end when he kills the rat, he slits his throat with his jaw. Like he bites his throat out and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's a fox." He, that's what he would do to <laughs> a rat. That's what he would do. It's just not what I usually and see also, in these types of movies.
1: Yeah, let's talk about this a little bit later, but I want to talk about where camera is when he is in the chicken coop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so we kind of at this point in the movie uh, the community of animals now confront Mr. Fox because the barrage of ammunition that's coming from the humans has now affected the community, including the forest. The for- whole forest is basically They're using from steam the shovels
0: now. They're blowing up yeah. the hole to leave a little perfect butthole in the earth. That, and they're like, it's a siege. They call it a siege. At one point, I really like this detail. They set up 108 sniper positions.
1: Yeah, Around all of the, the employees are now all of snipers. Yeah. yeah, and they all hate Mr. Uh, Fox. The animals, the animals we have get, turned
0: on him because he's We get selfish. a nice
1: little uh, Rondo or like a little like ABA Prime kind of uh, scenes with this bully that has also been a part of Ash's timeline. He's a where, beaver. yeah, he's he's a beaver who's just. Like at one point, he actually, he's the uh, lab partner of Silver Fox of Christopherson. So um, at one point, Christopherson says, like, you sound like a bully. And then we get a scene where he's basically a bully. And then this final scene where uh, basically Silver Fox fights Fights him. He he fucks him up because he knows karate. Owns and him yoga. with karate,
0: right? Yeah. And, and of course this... Ash doesn't want that. He didn't want him to fight his battle for him. That's also yeah. humiliating.
1: And I love that line that Silver Fox says at the end, which he's like, I can I can fight my battles for me, more or less, is what he says to him, Or he's like, and I he didn't says, want you
0: to No, you can't.
1: <laughs> no, you can't. You you are not good at fighting, which is really the final call to action for Ash to both prove himself to his father, him to himself, and, and to Christofferson. Yeah, basically to the community that he is his father's son. Which once again, that's what everything matters. Is that you got to prove yourself to Daddy? Prove that
0: you are also fantastic. Yeah. Then uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Fox says he's come up with an incredible plan. And the incredible plan is to dig sideways instead of just digging straight down, which they should have thought of easily the very first day. Dig sideways if they're just digging down and down and down and trying to attack you and you have to dig down and down and down. Guess what, asshole? Turn any direction and now you're good.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's about as, it's as clever as a fox. (laughs) That's
0: right. So they dig under their farms and rob them all again one at a time. They kill a bunch of chickens. They dance to celebrate. They dig into the cider cellar and dance to celebrate. Hell yeah. They go into the goose house and dance to celebrate. Then they steal real shit. Like you'll see them in the tunnel with like TVs and <laughs> yeah, shit. They like just, they're stealing their jewelry and I shit. love
1: that those details too. And yeah. they're just, you know, taking them into the sewers. Um, to at such at a degree
0: point, that they have become a local folk legend. And we get Petey. I, I, I know this scene is neither here nor there, but there's like a protest song being sung around the campfire about people who are kind of rooting for the animals. Yeah. And uh, Michael Gambon it's comes up and goes, great. What are you singing, Petey? I'm just making it up as I go along, really. Well, that's just weak songwriting. You wrote a bad song, Petey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the best scene in the movie. It's a good scene. Yeah. It's a great scene. It has nothing to do with anything other than telling an amateur musician that they suck. You, yeah. That's uh, which we all can stand by. You wrote a bad song. <laughs> you wrote a bad song. So Dee-dee. the animals
0: are all holed up in a Flint mine, which is they treat as like a refugee camp. Everyone's trying to do mutual aid, community service, you know, get people what they need to eat and drink, get people medicine, get people patched up, but it's hard times. Hard times have come to the farm. Um, there's also a great scene where Mr. Bean flips the fuck out and like destroys their whole trailer. I liked the animation in that. It reminded me of once upon a time in the in Hollywood, the uh DiCaprio oh, yeah. flipping out in his trailer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I think the uh stakes also are upped at this point on both sides, because at one point uh Bean has this idea, he's like, Well, I have an empire of apple cider, I'm going to Purge them by filling the whole, filling everything with apple cider. And on the other side, as they're kind of this ha- occurs while they're feasting on all of the riches that they've stolen from, you know, the collective of farmers, uh, Ash and Christofferson are captured by the farmers because um,
0: Ash wanted to go on a quest. To recover his dad's shot off tail, which Michael Gambone is wearing as a necktie. So, you know, it's a dangerous mission to say the least.
1: Yeah. And it's actually kind of like a packed act, too, to be honest. Like, this is kind of the final bit of that. But, like, there's a lot that goes on here. There's a lot of story going on because we also get the idea that Christofferson, who is the sole capture of the farmers, Ash gets away. uh, They think Christofferson is. Mr Fox's son which in the you know silly logic of this movie you know humans don't just kill foxes willy-nilly they negotiate and say like a you hostage swap your son. and shit yeah. yeah but it has the added effect which is also funny cuz does
0: that mean Mr Fox could go that's just my nephew kill him i don't give a shit
1: I mean, that's the yeah. That that's would be the logic the that thing seems to, to be do. implied. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, he could do that, and they would be like, "All right, we're gonna shoot this Fox, <laughs> yeah. I guess." Um, But like, it has the added narrative of effort of, you know, Ash is now doubled down at this point. He's attempted and failed, and
0: and the flood flooded everyone and washed them all away uh, into the sewers. Where they say, "Is anyone hurt?" We're all hurt. So, like, they're not doing good. The community is distraught. Everyone's mad at Mr. Fox. This is the point where she says, I do love you, but I shouldn't have married you. Yeah. Uh, and he it's says- It's the all
1: is lost point.
0: If people aren't intimidated by me, I don't feel good about myself. So it's basically, well, we'll talk about it later. Anyway, uh, he apologizes to Ash after Ash gets back, having successfully saved Christofferson because Christofferson taught him karate real quick. Uh, and says he loves him just the way he is, right? Which is the thing Ash has been waiting to hear his whole life and that he is an athlete as he wants to be and that he is proud of him and he is fantastic. So to prove himself and that he's an adult now and understands familial responsibility, he's going to take a white flag up to the farmers to surrender and die if they'll promise to let all the other animals be in peace. Uh, so he's yeah,
1: yeah, he's doing a selfless act, I guess, at this point, even though he's created this situation by just moving into the tree. But, you know, yeah, he's he's doing the good thing. He's he's a surrendering in order to free Christopherson and the farmers prepare an ambush, which uh, they kind of clever. Mr. Fox kind of anticipates and gives orders. We get a little montage it wouldn't be a Wes Anderson film if it didn't. Uh, you know, this is where you go. Boys this is a fun game. Beach yeah. Boys. Yeah. And the far. Uh, so basically, the animals prevail, uh, and Mr. Fox and friends break into the location uh, that Christopherson is at in order to free him. And just to throw out another scene that happened a little earlier in this, we get the final kind of act with the rat where. I just want to mention this because we will discuss it later, that Mr. Fox decides basically when he does his little white flag and he's like, I'm going to go give myself up. He runs into the uh, Willem Dafoe again and um, and Willem Dafoe has
0: this crazy. Basically
1: electrocutes him, as he you yeah, said.
0: He has this crazy doomed energy that's just like, look, man. The I am what I am and you are what you I'm are. A rat. And one of yeah. us has to die right now. That's just how it is. And I don't care which one it is, let's die. Let's die. But together. he lets
1: si- he lets slip the uh location of Christopherson. And then at this point, they break into like a compound, a literal compound, um, where like just the group of the group of foxes slash badger, I guess, or uh opossum rather. Uh, is in a situation they're being fired upon, and Ash does some gymnastics to prove his athleticism to all, and everyone's very impressed, especially his dad. And Ash actually frees Christopherson, as you mentioned. They escape the gunfire, and a rabid dog, um, turning their enemy against themselves. Basically, they
0: release they, the
1: rabid dog, and it attacks yeah, the human. The dog has rabies, and they. Escape on a tiny motorcycle.
0: (laughs) And uh, the badger, played by Bill Murray, who said that he was a demolitions expert, (laughs) indeed, starts throwing a bunch of lit-on-fire pine cones out from the sewers up into the world. town. And they burn this town to the ground. (laughs) Yes.
1: Imagine.
0: (laughs) The animals destroy this place. It's amazing. (laughs)
1: Like, imagine some badgers and some fucking... Rats (laughs) Rats <laughs> ruined your town. Just threw bombs, yeah, into your bakeries, basically. Molotov your cocktails, offices. yeah, yeah, Molotov cocktails, basically. Uh, so this is all happening simultaneously. Dude,
0: I love the rabbit does the prayer from Boondock Saints and then yeah. runs around with a sling, not getting shot by bullets. Love espiritu it. santi, espiritu. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, <laughs> so yeah having a great. It's a great. Moment. It's a great battle a, scene. Yeah. It's a great battle scene, very aware of its silliness. It's, fox it's finds so a great. tiny
0: motorcycle that shouldn't exist. Yeah,
1: yeah it's exactly. just
0: silliness. Um, but now, as the guy in the helicopter overhead says, tracking them, looks like a uh, fox in a tiny motorcycle with mean- a possum and uh, another fox in the sidecar. Am I really seeing that right?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's some, the paraphrase of the line is like, does this mean anything to anyone? Oh yeah. Is anyone picking this up? Does this mean anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, little tiny fox and immediately motorcycle? Michael Gambon is like, yes, you need to come pick us up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I have, I have issues with this Fox and um, this all plays out. Uh, and as they leave Mr. Fox and company uh, take what's left of Mr. Fox's tail as they go, it, It's as you mentioned, been made into a tie at one point and then ripped apart. Pins it to his pants.
0: Yeah, it's just ornamental now. He's a furry because he wears a fake tail. He's technically a furry. Uh, Also, Ash at some point in here apologizes to Christopherson and they make up. He says, "I'm sorry. I'm grumpy. I spit," and then he spits on the ground. (laughs) And I just liked that. Um, It reminded me very much of the brother fight in Tannenbaums when they when uh, Stiller chases. Owen over the wall. Yeah. Uh, and they finally just make up and it's like, well, we're still family. Right. And, uh, I think that's, I had another thing about Ash, but whatever he runs the gauntlet all bravely, just like his dad used to do. And he uses a rake as a whack bat in a really impressive way. And he breaks the doorknob and digs down and does all these flips and moves to where the dad's like, Oh, he does have it. He is, he is my son. Uh, And he replaces his tube sock that he was using as a fake bandit hat with a real bandit hat. Now, you know, father and son are good. That has
1: been completed. I also really like
0: the trivia that uh, earlier in the story, Felicity said to Ash, you have 29 minutes to, to come up with a good apology for your cousin. 29 minutes later in the film is when he apologizes to Christopherson finally.
1: Yeah, and uh, jokes. it's really just a. I it's like j- jokes. It's jokes. It's calling out exactly when you do it. And it so, says,
0: Ash, that was pure wild animal craziness. You are an athlete. Here, put this bandit hat on.
1: <laughs> and that's all He's part of the group now. You need now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just need to acknowledge his fucking son. And basically at that point, there's an epilogue where the animal kingdom now lives in a well-to-do sewers on the up and up, inviting other animals to stay there. Mr. Fox apologizes to his wife for being reckless, and she immediately forgives him. Um, His son is now accepted by his father's ambitions, uh, so they're both happy. And Mr. Fox leads them uh, just intuitively to a hole in the ground that leads to a supermarket where they'll feast as long as they can. He's Mr.
0: It's now the movie over the hedge official. Yeah.
1: And Mrs. Fox reveals she's pregnant again. And that causes everyone to dance. They dance and then to we celebrate. zoom out and end of movie. Well,
0: we zoom out to reveal that the supermarket itself is owned by bogus Bunsen, Beans. Yeah, so it's you got to like,
1: keep burning the people. You got
0: to burn these. These farmers will never get a day of respite until they finally blow their own miserable brains out. Fuck these farmers. Because they all suck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they all suck. We're going to ruin their lives. Yeah. Um, you forgot a little interlude that I do think is important. It's a sea runner. Is that he says he has a phobia of wolves several times, and then after they make their great escape uh, it's on the, the motorcycle, best shot it's the best, best shot. Uh, a wolf stops on the ridge, and he looks at it, and he's like, "What do you want, wolf? You know I have a phobia of wolves. You all right, wolf?" And then the wolf just raises a fist in protest.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's camaraderie. And it's like it's like, it's like hey, we're, I'm kind of a dog. You're <laughs> and kind he's of like, a dog. And, and the wolf is just like, I don't know what you are. And then yeah. over a little bit of time he's single. I am hand Vulpus up.
0: Vulpus. I don't think he speaks English or Latin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a majestic animal. Yeah. Um
0: I gotta yeah. say I love in stories where someone has a meaningful interaction with a wild animal. Like it so when you're You know, a movie where there's a bunch of stakes and a bunch of shit going on? It's a joke,
1: man. It's just like, remember, they're animals. (laughs) You know, that's the only thing. Yes,
0: but I'm saying in a realistic way, I actually found it kind of moving. Like, I always am a sucker for there's a bunch of stakes going on and you're all wrapped up in your own drama, but then suddenly you just meet a deer in the woods and you have a quiet moment of looking at each other, and that feels a certain way. Yeah, it's also
1: totally it's also a very um, Pixar thing because Pixar likewise does this thing where randomly it will just decide to to give you scope to just say, here's a scene where isn't this weird? Isn't this crazy? And it's a benchmark of like the blockbuster. We love stories that can make fun of themselves or take the wind out of their own sails in a way. But we don't want them to point it out and be like, isn't that cool that we did that kind of thing? Yeah. And this movie does not do that. This movie just says, here's just a moment. Let the moment play out. That's exactly how it goes. So So this is pedagogy
0: where we get to just talk about our thoughts about the film and the making of the film. I think we're already in it. Uh, No, I agree completely. And I think so. I just wanted to ask you. Because you said you didn't care for it. I want you to elucidate that, but through the lens of, do you agree that the level of control that animation gives him makes the Wes Anderson shots more acceptable and less loud? Of course. I think
1: actually they're, I mean, he's always so precise, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's on display here. I don't think anyone can deny that. I think any viewer is going to be like, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And the whole team.
0: I mean, I'm sure he wasn't individually thinking of every single detail. It's clear that the whole team was thinking of cute little details, like what could a badger lawyer have in their office? And if you look around the almost every shot, there's all these cute little details that are like environmental storytelling. And I think that's the kind of thing you get only with stop motion or a production designer who has an infinite budget.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's easier to do when it's all done in essentially diorama. You know, like uh the dollhouse oh, yeah. filmmaking quality that I think you're talking about. Also, their treehouse like the is treated like crochet.
0: a dollhouse, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can you can essentially create that uh on at scale, uh, literally. Um Yeah, my problems with the movie come down to two basic things, and the big one is that I think that there's a it's just a, a hallmark of Wes Anderson when it uh individuality is an ideal and tantamount to community but not more important than that's what the movie's saying um yeah. one that essentially gives is best but does this movie do that
0: does it do execute you, on that in a way does you really it, feel?
1: Do I, you feel that way that Mr. Fox goes yeah. through that journey?
0: I don't think he means it. I don't think it's stuck in him. I think he's still a sly Fox. You know, there's like a wink even to the end of the thing. Only because I'm comparing it with uh, Wes Anderson's other movies as well. And that is informing my thoughts. So it's like, it reminded mm-hmm. me most of all of Bottle Rockets. Cause it's yeah. about guys who are wild animals and they can't control themselves. And you're supposed to come to terms with that's good actually, cause Aging. that's the way they yeah. are. And the arc is,
1: but it's also every Bill Murray character. in, in Wes most Anderson of his, Yeah.
0: And the arc is like, can you learn one shade of responsibility? Can you grow up or is it boys will always be boys. And uh, I'll just say that that bores me at this point. That's a pretty, that's not just Wes Anderson. So many broad comedies are like failure to launch or anything. You know, sh- so many models, shitty comedies. Even the beloved
1: ones yeah. are
0: like, you just can't grow up, get a job, and then maybe I'll marry you, right? Sean, never do
1: wells. Yeah. yeah,
0: God, I've got to grow up. I've got to be a man, a real man, and I think that is a product of culture making it easier for especially white men to stay in their adolescence for a long time. And so a lot of people come to grips with and then write stories about that coming of age. And that coming of age sometimes coming too late. Like you're dragging your feet, you're dragging your feet. Okay, you finally man up and are going to be a dad, a good dad. Uh, And I think it sort of buys into this idea that once you're a dad, something is lost. You're not vivacious anymore. Now you're just a dad. Um, but that it's the lonely road we all must walk down someday. And I'll just say, not all that sits well with me. I don't necessarily think of life's journey that way. But mm. it is a classic staple of comedy arcs. The male husband who can't stop doing shenanigans, and then he finally learns to just cut it, the, sh- cut the shit out and grow up. That's his big lesson. And it's the particular
1: lesson. way in which Wes Anderson protagonists see themselves as awesome all the time. And they see all other characters as archetypes, like as they fulfill moments in the protagonist's story. And I know that literally is what story is. Like any writer is going to sit down and say, you craft story for the most part this way. You build a character around like, what's the impetus? What is it going to do to my protagonist? But I always feel it's more arrogant when... (laughs) Wes Anderson does it and I know that that's like it feels more like
0: he has found a particular kind of dysfunctional family scenario that he's really comfortable writing around that really works for him like this family is not unlike the Tannenbaums family is not unlike the Bottle Rockets guys uh and that's okay it's okay to do basically one thing It's still very different by virtue of the fact that it's stop motion. And I know that's kind of a cheat, but as someone who really loves stop motion in and of itself, that is enough to refresh it for me. Like, yes, it's kind of like Royal Tannenbaums, but it's stop motion and it's a cartoon and that makes it more delightful to me. And I do think it bears more with, it compares more to Rushmore and Bottle Rockets in terms of it actually has jokes. It has honest to goodness jokes that are really funny in it.
1: It really does. And there's a lot, like I, I, as I mentioned, there's a lot of charm here. I think that anyone who's watching it can behold the fact that like, these are all crafts people who are really good at what they do. And I don't just mean the fact that they're like filmmakers who are stylistically impressive and precise, but also like the heart of the story is also good in that, like it does want to tell a universal story. And if you, if it stands alone, it is a fantastic story. Um, there's nothing to take away from that. But when you look in the aggregate of uh, Wes Anderson's career, it's it's very telling that he has this like single mythology. Like uh, yeah, he is what he is. He tells the yeah.
0: story that he tells. Over yeah, and it's over.
1: the same way that he approaches every frame to be like, I want to do flat space. I want to ah. not have. Yeah. I thought that I was
0: interesting because he does. There's there's also way more close-ups right down the barrel than I've ever seen in any other stop motion thing. So I think mm-hmm. it was a bold choice to say, I'm gonna have an emotionally resonant moment hit, and you're just looking at an extreme close-up of a doll with glass eyes. And like I really am gonna trust that the imagination of the audience can imbue that thing with meaning and life and i think they do i think when we get the close up of felicity talking to ash and she's staring straight in camera and he's staring straight in camera it works and i'm surprised it works with dolls that small because a close close up of their face kind of reveals how simple the doll is it's just glass eyes and a bunch of hair and uh they used to call it the kubrick stare this kind of extreme yeah, close-up right. and i like that he's willing to do Kubrick stairs with dolls i just think that's a cute idea No,
1: that's that, yeah and, and if it wasn't if i personally could see that and not look at like oh these are taxidermy dead animals because they are real it's real animal hair and <laughs> get this this <laughs>
0: The human hair of the human characters is really human hair. That's even <laughs> that's worse. right. I re- yeah. I
1: read that tribute too. It's just funny to me because it's like, yeah, it's it totally works. But like if you watch it just imagine me going like ew every time there was a close-up, because that's kind <laughs> of what I'd be like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, 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 but I did like I, I mean, did love I did like the movie though. In
0: the stop motion arena. A couple of things that are laudable, I gotta mention the boiling of the chemicals in chemistry class. I actually don't know how they did it. It was like with gelatin or something, but he's he's like dropping different liquids into a beaker and they're boiling and changing color. I thought that was really cool. And we already mm-hmm. talked about the waterfall that's clearly made out of saran wrap, but it's beautiful, yeah. like they did a beautiful it job with really the saran good. wrap, yeah.
1: They are really impressive, Uh, which is probably a good segue into our final little, you know, spectrum here, right? Yes.
0: Although I'll say one more thing, and then I'm ready, which is I did note that everyone is always either straight on or profile, right? This we know this. Wes Anderson likes ninety degree angles. Mm -hmm. When Fantastic Mr. Fox is ignoring his son, he's three quarters, and I do think that's Uh, intentional and cool. That was good.
1: That I noticed that. It's like, or I noticed that it was not the three-quarter shot is not something that like imagine a Wes Anderson movie right now, dear listener. When have you seen a three quarter shot? And by that I mean is it at an angle? Yeah. It's never at an angle. It's always flat space, as I mentioned. So it's always straight on. You know what it is. But when Mr. Fox um, is
0: about to fuck up or ignore his son, he's at three it's quarters. A skew. As if to say he's not even on the same plane as these people right now. Exactly. Which is,
1: which is one of the greatest maneuvers that Wes Anderson's done because he has formulated essentially a stylistic approach to all of his films, which other filmmakers don't do that. Wes Anderson is stands alone in that regard. And he's able
0: to play off of it, off of his own thing.
1: In terms of popularity, like other filmmakers do that and they say, I make a, Film in a certain way, but like David Fincher or or, you know like people that we you mentioned in the same breath, you couldn't make a movie
0: that's obviously a David Fincher parody, but you could make a movie that's obviously a Wes Anderson movie easily. That's how formalist he is.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so because he's deciding to disrupt that cycle and go like I'm making fun of myself or you, not even that I'm. Adjusting my formula in order to prove us like a story point. That is him deciding. Oh, the story takes precedent over my storytelling of it. My mm-hmm. uh, my impulses in which I tell the story. That I think is the right direction. Yeah, <laughs> that I love when anyone does that. Yeah, uh, not just Wes Anderson, but it's it's yeah. definitely something that when he does that, you go, Ah, oh, I notice, and it's pretty cool. Um. Oh, yeah. I did want to mention in that kind of same vein the trademarks of kind of Wes Anderson. Well, he didn't do uh, a slow
0: motion ramp. So that's. He doesn't okay. do
1: the slow motion to end the movie, which we've discussed several times on this podcast. He does that kind of last narration over uh, the movie over slow mo. That's his trademark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I d- will say that the wide shot. That we see of it pulling back as they dance in the sh- uh, uh, shopping center that or the supermarket. that wide shots, like, I don't know, if to me, that has a similar effect. Their dance is dwarfed in frame, essentially. and we're and pulling bas-
0: back out really slowly. It's really true. slowly. Yeah.
1: So basically the shot is slowly pulling back to static wide. Um, of the grocery store and by doing that like it more or less has the same effect as slow-mo where it's just like everything is and he manages to, to
0: justify it because you're pulling out to reveal a punchline so it's great. yeah no, exactly
1: Walmart. so yeah it's very um yeah uh but we've talked about all the other trademarks the diagrams for no reason other than charm you know at one point they the discuss a court. game yeah uh, uh the I. Idea- a character is uh, into meditation or yoga uh, and obviously the narrative consideration that you know, your protagonist is a man child yep. uh, who that's needs to pump one. the to pump the brakes with a healthy reminder that individuality should be celebrated. Um, And diversity is, and that
0: diversity is strength, right? He gives a big pep talk about how each animal has different abilities and that's what makes us strong. So It's this argument for being selfish in a way. It's this argument that the community is great and you do need to compromise sometimes for your family, for your loved ones, for your community. But at the same time, don't lose what makes you individual because that is a special strength that can also benefit the community.
1: Yeah. And, um, I wouldn't call this a trademark. I really don't want Wes Anderson to hear this just because it sounds like I, I loathe him and I don't I I really don't but like there's also as as it comes with Angelica Houston in several films uh the benching of women <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is I That's would argue there. a trademark for sure it's very much there she kind of her arc is that of acceptance which is not a problem but she's um, a
0: marge she just grumbles she and comes, grumbles and then accepts rrrr. it yeah yeah
1: exactly um, but that's kind of all I got Cool for the pedagogues. So we'll
0: move into how do you do that, which is where we talk fun trivia. Ooh. Uh, here's of course the one that's really pressing to me. Uh, the titles and text used in the production design are in Helvetica bold. All previous Wes Anderson movies were Futura bold.
1: Oh my god. And I do fonts. Know, I
0: do know the difference between those two fonts. That is kind of a bold shift up. Well,
1: well, well, Mr. Yeah. Fontmaster.
0: I'm looking at it. Yeah, no, now.
1: I I yeah, it definitely uh it definitely gives it a different tone, I guess. We love uh, fonts. Our
0: font was what was it called? Gr- Altos Grotesque was the small Alt-Haas games
1: font. Altos Grotesque. Yeah, that's the poor man's Helvetica for yeah. sure. Um I also think
0: it's one of the few movies where all the voice actors are celebrities instead of storied voice actors. And it doesn't piss me off a because I know Wes Anderson's going to work with all his regulars. That makes sense. Yeah. But B because they did something really cool, which is they actually took them out on location to record their lines. So for example, they would go to a wheat field with a tree in the middle and record all the lines standing in the field together. It's, that's pretty They would pretty go cool. down into a sewer and record together. Yeah. And I really do think he gets great vocal performances out of standard actors. And I think if you haven't seen both back to back, you might not realize voice acting in some ways, I know it cuts out the body, so that helps. but. It's almost harder than acting because you have to know exactly what all you have is your voice to convey exactly precisely what you mean. And I think he gets really good performances out of his people that rival real voice actors.
1: Yeah, I think George Clooney, Meryl Streep, uh, Michael Gambon, like they're all fucking high.
0: Willem Dafoe is doing a full on character. Willem Dafoe
1: is continuously my favorite Wes Anderson character. Like the way he uses Willem Dafoe is like the best version of willem dafoe in my mind yeah like not just this but zisu like uh, what what a performance but and what yeah, a treat
0: so- like what a gift to give us specifically willem dafoe doing that wow thank you
1: yeah Thank if nothing you. else <laughs> a little french fucking rat who despises himself what a fucking great character oh
0: other trivia They almost got that scene banned because, you know, at the end he slits his throat and then he says, I'm sorry, I had to kill you, rat. What do you want in life? What's your dying wish? And he goes, I just want cider. The thing I guarded. I want cider. It tastes like molten gold. And he takes a puddle of sewer water sludge and feeds it to him and tells him it's cider right to ease his passing. But the way it's shot it looks like it's a puddle of blood from his slit throat and he's feeding him his
1: own blood. Yeah. I I was a little confused (laughs) by it too, but like, yeah, I got the gist of it and I got what he was dropping. This is something I feel like I should have mentioned during our, you know, conversation about like the protagonist, just utilizing people. Like even the redemption arc of Willem Dafoe feels like at the uh, benefit of Mr. Fox to, have a realization yes. that life is fickle, you know, like it's one of those things, but like, it's, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, sludge, um, the impressive kind of liquid work, the, uh, dioramas, all that stuff, like the parallax that you get. That's very, very subtle. Um, CGI was only used in one scene in the flooding of the Flint mine. Um, this is all done practically basically with just some elevation in post, but it's n- like CGI is not even on the table. And it movie. can't
0: be overstated what a team effort. It's it all is. puppetry. At yeah. one point, imagine this Abe as a director he had 29 units working for him simultaneously 29
1: units like you don't even talk to those units at that point you know that's like what's interesting
0: is i mean there's been some people who said he basically directed this movie over email and by like that's
1: known about wes anderson yeah. too is he likes to he's he's like he's kind of like Us, we sit in our rooms all the time. (laughs) Yeah, and he would just,
0: he'd look at incoming dailies and footage and pictures of models and he'd say no to that, yes to that. I don't see why this can't be a phone call. I can just do it from my room. And he did a lot of it from his room. Meanwhile, he's got 29 separate groups of people out there laboriously shooting these sequences.
1: Yeah, altogether, 535 puppets were made for this movie. And they said it took seven
0: months for him to approve the Fantastic Mr. Fox puppet,
1: right? And it had seventeen different styles just for Mr. Fox. Yeah, and uh, they had to be done in different sizes because of the differences in the, um, in the actual like. Oh, our our miniature is this. There's size? shots
0: where they need to be tinier in scale relative so, to things. Yeah.
1: 535 puppets were made for the movie. 102 were just Mr. Fox. Yeah. One fifth of the puppets. Yeah. And
0: it's all real hair. That's the grossest shit, dude. It's animal it's hair and human hair. hideous.
1: <laughs> Take it back. Yeah. <laughs> Take um, it back, please what else it was also shot on uh like a DSLR cam more yeah that's or less, cool which is um it, it's a very souped up one it was a Nikon D3 mm-hmm. so it's higher than full definition or you know higher than 1080p it can be shot yeah but the idea is but that they knocked like, it
0: down to 12 frames a second you, you
1: because you can take these huge megapixels photos The reason they chose that camera is because it could actually take 12 frames per second at a high, like basically click, 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 click very quickly at a very high resolved kind of, um, well, I mean, just highly high resolution. Yeah. So be, so that's what gives it that unique look because we're usually, our eyes are attuned to like 24 or 30. And 18 is what frames per second. Uh, Usually we're used to in animation, and this is more or less 12, um, even though they do break that at random times. But that's the benefit of the Nikon D3 in this case, is that it could take a resolution that was higher than even cinema cameras would do. You know, you hear things like. 8k or even we're getting close to like 12k 100k who gives a
0: shit it just yeah who gives a shit
1: but here this is during the boom of like 25 megapixels and yeah if you know anything about cinematography that that was all done to sell more cameras but the idea that you need anything more than 18 megapixels is funny just because
0: it's more you than doing? your eye can see are you
1: shooting something that is going to are, is your photo going to be put on a billboard because right. otherwise it's not really that necessary you need to blow this
0: up to the size of the las vegas dome yeah it's over <laughs> las vegas it's sphere it's 9, 9999
1: 9 damage <laughs> so <laughs> they're doing 12 frames per second they knew that limitation they were like that's cool we like the 12 frame per second look might as well go crazy ham on the high resolution to make it look really crisp yeah. and to control depth of field and the aspects of the lens. And using real
0: animal hair means that every time you manipulate the model, the hair is yeah. slightly out of place. And he said, let's eat that too. Like, let's let it look let's that do way. That. I like yeah. how the hair is rustling in a non-realistic way.
1: So that's why the stop motion looks so fantastic in this movie, and uh, that is probably not just a credit to Wes Anderson. No, no, which it no. absolutely whole is. the Whole
0: team, uh, but the yeah. whole
1: team run by obviously Henry Selick, which we mm. you know uh, mentioned who, a
0: legend in the field. Yeah,
1: legend in the field. Nightmare,
0: Monkey Christmas. Monkey
1: uh, the most in important. In fact, the Henry Selick used the at this point the most recent Tim Burton was Corpse Bride. Mm -hmm. Uh, He used those animators to animate this film, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, that was the team that made... So, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Corpse Bride. If you ever watch both of those back-to-back and go, oh, they look fairly similar, now you know why.
0: There you go. Also, this was the theatrical movie debut of Chef Mario Batali. And yes, that Mario Batali, the guy who wears orange shorts and Crocs, uh, he plays the rabbit that that did, you know, a spiritu santo and then went on a killing spree. And that's why the rabbit wears an orange neckerchief.
1: That's the rabbit that's,
0: is Mario Batali. That's so I, weird to me. I, I don't why? know who
1: that is, but that's you know fantastic. Oh, he's just a, a
0: ridiculous celebrity chef who should not have any reason to be in a Wes Anderson movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he probably cooked a great meal. For Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. And then Wes Anderson was like, you know what? Come into my movie.
0: I also thought uh last kind of cute thing that I noted was how much they did, because Rold Dahl really was a hero of Wes Anderson's, and how much they did to like nod to that fact. So like mm-hmm. Bean, Sir Michael Gambon, looks a lot like Rold Dahl, and the room in which Fox dictates his plan, his master heist plan into like, he's sitting with Kylie and he's dictating into a microphone, into a reel to reel tape. That is how Roald Dahl wrote. He would sit and dictate into this reel to reel tape. That's pretty and cool. And the entire, that entire office is a recreation of a famous photo of Roald Dahl's office. I thought that was neat.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Roald Dahl, this, Uh, I didn't know this because I hadn't hadn't written or I hadn't read the uh, original story, Mm -hmm. but Raldal Dahl apparently right before writing the story uh, lost one of his children to measles.
0: Yes, and then
1: watched another one suffer from water in the brain, water on
0: the brain, which is why it's about a father protecting from his a car family. accident. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I, I thought that that was pretty. Like, wow, this is dark, and one of the original. Like when I watched it, I was like, you know what? Let's make a children's story about children instead of like adults. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was one of. But now that I know that fact, it improves like my perception of this movie, because knowing that the original story was very much so a children's story, that was written by kind of a father that going through wanted some to real shit, yeah, about a family and a father in particular. It doesn't seem it doesn't make Wes Anderson's interpretation that off. You know, like yeah, it's not agreed. like his interpretation is to take James and the Giant Peach and make it about like George Clooney. Right. right, right. He's actually taking the source material and true using to the, spirit. the spirit of it. Yeah. yeah true yeah, exactly. to the spirit.
0: It just has a smear of Wes Anderson's normal shenanigans all over it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I liked that. I like yeah. reading that.
0: I love this movie, but I'm real easy. If it's stop motion, I'm probably going to like it. So.
1: Yeah, you like animation more than I do. I do, even though I do agree with your basic pre, like preface that animation is kind of a more perfect art because you control so much.
0: I think it's a more perfect art for Wes Anderson. That's maybe my only hot take. I think Wes Anderson should stick to cartoons. He's yeah, better I at think,
1: that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's all the same. I think that. He definitely has more control here, but control was never his problem. You know, like he is very controlled in Grand Budapest, uh, sure. Budapest Hotel or whatever. You know, like he he's very deliberate in every choice and every floral print. Um, so when it comes down to it, I don't think that he is necessarily improved by this. I am impressed by the craftsmanship of this movie and i think it's one of his best that's all i'll say
0: okay great good spot to end it uh do we know what pt anderson thing we're covering next uh my gut says the master but the
1: master is up next baby 2000 is that nine unless we're both wrong but
0: i think it is
1: no it's the master is next but i just forget what year it is Um, that's a
0: creepy I haven't seen that since theaters that'll be an interesting rewatch
1: super excited yeah the master's great yeah All right. thanks for bringing the positivity my man I'm sorry I'm such a such a grump when it comes to you're a wild animal that's what
0: I love about you
1: I I really do like his movies sometimes Mm -hmm. I just
0: oh dude wait until we get to asteroid city you're gonna hear me shitting on so much so hard I hope that the that's time my will favorite. come. I hope you <laughs> I like hope, it. I hope you like it. I hope it. I
1: watch it and go, this because is so pleasant.
0: I don't see how anyone could like it. If there's someone out there who really loved Asteroid City, I actually want to have it explained to me. Like, why? I mean, what about it? Yeah. Ugh. Anyway,
1: we'll probably not have you on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah. But, you know, make sure and say that. But let me uh, know. It's always a pleasure discussing story and narrative and theme with you, sir.
0: You too, man. It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad we're back with a new season. Yeah, if you miss Kings of Kings, sorry about that, but we'll do more later.
1: We'll be back, baby. We'll be back. That'll be
0: back too, and we will be back with another episode of Anders Sons on the Master in about a month.